The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Payne.tv slash gold. You folks are listening to episode 152, part one. I hope everyone had a great day. Happy Valentine's Day to all you folks out there. I don't know what you're, uh, what you're doing today, but obviously with uh, Maggie and I, We've got Willie G, just three months old, and so we're staying in the house tonight. I'm going to cook Maggie some lobsters, some scallops, and some shrimp with some broccoli, folks. It's going to be great. What better than a nice romantic dinner at home with your wife? Of course, here, and I'm not bragging, folks, but we have a romantic dinner every day here at the Gold Household. Maggie is a fantastic cook. I am an exceptionally good cook. Some things I cook great. And so we have a romantic dinner every night. I made it a thing. I don't know what it was. Ever since I've been with Maggie, I do a candlelight dinner every night. And most of the time, we do a candlelight breakfast. And uh, generally, it's a dress down for lunch. We don't do the candlelight for lunch. But breakfast, a lot of times, if we cook something really good, we do candlelight dinner, or candlelight breakfast, and we do candlelight dinner every night. Pretty much every single night, I've got the candles on the table. It's worth the investment, fellas. Uh, Candles nowadays are a couple dollars each for the long sticks. But I have an old set of uh, candle holders I bought at a Goodwill. Um, I bought them one time, the first time I had Maggie over the house for dinner. Uh, I did a candlelight dinner. And ever since then, I've done it. It's part of the routine. She used to think I was romantic. Now it is just part of every day. I actually used to buy her flowers every single day. And finally, she told me, enough of that. You're wasting money on flowers. So I bought her one of those forever roses, which it's not a, not a sponsor here. But I bought her one of those, um, I don't know, from Amazon or something like that. And I gave it to her. And I said, well, if this is the end of the flowers every single day, then I'm going to give you this forever rose and we'll have that out forever. Because I don't want her to think I'm not romantic. I have a candlelight dinner every night, but it becomes part of part of everyday life. And then you forget that I am a very romantic gentleman. I open the door for my wife, the car door for my wife, whether she's driving or I'm driving, I open the car door. I open the door at restaurants. I open the door at uh, the gym. I open the door to the house. That's just the way I rock and roll. I don't know where it came from, folks. I didn't learn it from my father. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) My father and mother were fighting all the time. I don't really remember my father bringing my mother flowers or having candlelight dinners uh, or dressing up in uh, three-piece suits when they go out to eat. But I like to do that with my wife. So happy Valentine's Day to my beautiful, loving, caring, intelligent, uh, fantastically amazing wife. And happy Valentine's Day to our 
little son, even though he's not little, and a happy Valentine's Day to all of you ladies out there, all you wives, you moms, you grandmas, you aunts, your sisters, whatever you are. Happy Valentine's Day, ladies. All right. It should be Valentine's every day in your house, though. Tell your man, Valentine's every day. And I know the men out there are going to get upset, but come on. You've got to respect your women. Show them some love, fellas. They are fantastic. And if they're grumpy and they're mean, it's probably because you weren't treating them right. You have to respect your ladies. They are fantastic creatures, are they not? I love my wife with all of my heart. Um, she is just amazing. I loved her even before she gave me my son, folks. All right, that's it. Enough of the sappy stuff. I'm over here. I'm going to start crying in the studio. It's going to flood down here. Uh, but no, seriously, folks, happy Valentine's Day. Now, let's move on. Uh, what we're going to do today on episode 152 is I'm going to finish up talking about the smart um, villages that we started talking about yesterday. I want to wrap that up so we don't we don't lose that. And this is the smart village plan that's going on in Europe to connect all of the villages or these rural areas, similar to like what we have here in the United States. So here you would have cities, and then you'd have suburbs, and then you'd have rural, right? Uh, over in Europe, it's similar. I mean, based on what I've gathered from my trips over there, and the villages are really the small rural areas. And so they're trying to connect all them up to the smart technology. Now, I had a long conversation today, and I need to start asking her when we have private conversations if I could record them and make them part of the show, because it's so hard to pin her down and get her to be part of the show. But I had a long conversation with Maria Albanese, co-host of the Thomas Paine podcast on Fridays. And we were talking about the show that she did last Friday with Mike Moore because she was bringing smart tech, smart cities, 15-minute cities into that conversation. And we've been working on it over here. Now, sometimes Maria and I share information, research, intelligence back and forth so that we can put out um, similar content. So if you guys are listening to the Thomas Paine podcast and then also listening to the Dust and Gold Standard, you're picking up a lot of the um, similar information. But she does her own research and I do mine. And so I told her we've been doing Coral Gables, Florida. We've been talking about Florida as a smart state. I got into opportunity zones. And we'll go deeper into this. The point of these conversations is for you folks that want to know what's actually going on in the real world. You don't want to just talk about these things in abstractions. You want to understand the technology behind them, the policies, where they come from, the investors getting involved, what the purpose is, where it's all going. And so I picked Coral Gables, I told Marie, to show you guys a real-world example of a smart city and stop talking about these things in abstractions. So that's what we're doing. So I told Maria, you know, catch up on those and then come on the show and share all the information you have because she likes to research this from the United Nations councils, the NGOs, everything that's coming out of the top. I'm sort of uh, focusing now on showing you what's happening at the local levels. 
And a lot of this was sparked by you. Uh, I covered smart cities. I covered smart polls and everything, probably 50, maybe 75 episodes ago. Folks wanted more of it. You've been seeing smart polls and smart tech going up all around your cities and your suburbs. Uh, so I've been communicating a lot with you. Um, Judy's been sending me a lot of information. She's a friend of the show, longtime listener of the Thomas Paine podcast. And so um, she really got me. She goes, this is, this is happening all around me um what's going on she's been reaching out to the mayor to the town council her and her husband have been snooping around and uh, they can't get answers and i said well let me start researching this myself and i'll let you know what's happening and that's how we stumbled upon uh coral gables florida a real life truman show uh and now what we're going to do is I'm going to finish up this smart village stuff. And then I've got a whole bunch of research I've been doing into the history of smart cities. I want to go back to the 1960s and show you what's been going on there. And then there's additional research I'm doing on the Opportunity Zone funding, which we covered yesterday in episode 151. And as you know, that was all passed in the first year of President Trump's administration in 2017. And the idea behind that, and we're just talking, you know, in, in very simplistic terms here. The idea was that they identified $6.1 trillion with a, with a TR, folks, trillion dollars of private capital. That was sitting out there in what they called unrealized um, capital gains. So, for instance, I invest $100 into Microsoft stock. That doubles. I have $100 in profits sitting there unrealized because I haven't cashed it out. But if I cash the $100 out, I have to pay capital gains tax on that. Well, if I take the $100 out, so now it's a realized gain. I actually have it in my hand or sitting in my bank account, I can then take that $100 and invest it into an opportunity zone fund. And these are managed by uh, various financial organizations, you know, Goldman Sachs types. And so I can put it into an opportunity zone fund. That's going to get invested into an opportunity zone. What I'm starting to see in the research is a lot of this is going into smart city technology. And if I leave that in there technically for 10 years, I can turn a profit on that. I don't have to pay taxes on the original money. Now, I haven't gone deep down what happens to uh, profits that you may make on the hundred that you don't have to pay taxes. You have to pay taxes on that when you take it out. It gets very complicated. But the idea behind this is that they were taking all of this sort of Wall Street money, banker money, technocrat money, that's so-called a private investment capital, figuring out how to route it into developing these smart cities in the so-called opportunity zones, all right? And then what happens, what happens at that point is the funds that are investing in the smart tech are actually getting a return on the tech. So for instance, a fund could sponsor putting up smart poles all over out of Chicago or New York City or whatever, and they're going to get a piece of the action when the smart poles are making money from reading license plates and giving out tickets to smart 
you know, parking meters to charging stations if they're going to charge for electricity to uh, the digital signage that hangs off of the smart poles, you know, advertising dollars that the fund actually privately funds building the smart city tech. And then it gets a return on its investment by owning a piece of the action. So let's say a smart pole generates $100,000 a year in tickets, let's say. That fund may get whatever, 40, 50, 60, 70%, you know, 40,000, 50,000, 60,000, $70,000 back. So it's private money building the prison planet and then getting a return, owning a piece of the action on the technology that they funded. So it was a way to get private capital to build the prison planet. So all these folks that are putting the money in make money off the grift. They make money off the scam, the scheme. At the same time, the bigwigs behind the scenes, you know, the Rockefellers, the bankers, the technocrats, they get to go and build the prison planet that they uh, are trying to achieve. And we're going to hopefully get into some of this discussion tonight because I really want to break down for you uh, what I see that these folks are trying to build uh, and where I think they're at, some of the hangups that I think we may be seeing, we're going to start to talk about some of the tech that isn't working. Are they intentionally collapsing this third industrial era technology, the technology of yesteryear, in hopes of then driving us further into the technology of tomorrow? Does the technology of tomorrow really exist? Are they hiding something from us? Uh, what's real? What isn't real? What's part of the LARP, the live action role play? Is this a psychological warfare operation? Uh, is AI, artificial intelligence, really going to be smarter than humans? Or will it only be smarter than humans once they intentionally folks because they've been doing it lower the iq of humanity they get humanity down to an iq of 60 literally vegetables walking around then will ai be smarter or can ai even be smarter we're going to get into a lot of this tonight uh, because i've been thinking about how i want to start to present this to you and try to explain to you some of this may be hype some of it may be psychological warfare the more i've been playing around with chat gpt which we're going to get into uh tonight i think uh, because what i'm going to do folks i'm going to come back i'm going to finish up the smart village so we don't break that up then i'm going to take a break and i'm going to get into this chat GBT, and I'm going to explain all that technology to you. We're going to break down this artificial intelligence stuff so we can stop again talking about it in abstractions. We're going to actually break it down, try to help you understand what this stuff actually is. And then we're going to circle back around, hopefully, tomorrow, the next day, we'll pick back up and I'll go into the history of the smart cities for you and then maybe get into opportunity zones. And then I've got this book by Anthony Sutton that wide awake jim wants me to read to you on the federal reserve and so i'm going to try to loop that in and the way that we're probably going to have to do it is i might double up shows for a couple of weeks so i'll do for instance an hour reading on anthony sutton as a separate show and then we'll keep going with the tech because there's just so much coming out on the technology and the smart cities i've got to stay on top of it and i'm afraid if i go into a 10 12 episode uh, series on the anthony sutton book 
you guys are going to be missing out on a lot when it comes to the technology. And there's just so much coming out with artificial intelligence and smart cities that I've got to stay on top of this for you. Otherwise, I'm not doing uh, my job, folks, helping you figure out what's coming and how to navigate this. So when I come back, let's finish up the smart village vision. And then from there, I'll get into chat GPT will break that all down and show you uh, where these guys want to move artificial intelligence. And I'll talk to you about what I think might be a bit of a psychological warfare operation. My name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. I'll see you on the other side. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash Gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. All right, ladies and gentlemen, get ready for a wild ride. My name is Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Ping.tv slash gold. All right, here we go, folks. We're over at smartvillageevents.com. And as you know, yesterday in episode 151, we read the first uh, five paragraphs here. I'm not going to reread all of this, but I am going to jump back one paragraph just to set the mood here, folks. It says, uh, but there is a big gap between the aspirations of local public authorities in their capacity to implement data-driven policies, projects, and strategies. Now, that's very important. Uh, We're probably going to bring that back up tonight as we enter the uh, artificial intelligence discussion. So let me repeat. There is a big gap between the aspirations of local public authorities and their capacity to implement data-driven policies, projects, and strategies. And I think, to be honest with you, this rings true going all the way up to the highest levels of the technocratic food chain. We can actually say here, folks, there is a big gap between the aspirations of the technocratic authorities and their capacity to implement data-driven policies, projects, and strategies. And uh, I'm going to make a note of that because I'm going to bring that back up uh, when I discuss uh, the housing of all this data needed to run this prison planet vision that we're going to lay out here for you. Uh, It goes on to say the vision of moving from traditional village management to digital transformation shows that building smart villages in rural areas is the right choice for sustainable development in line with the national and European Union policies. And we can say again the same thing for the technocrats at the highest level. See, it says the vision of moving from traditional village management to digital transformation. I would say the same thing. The vision of moving from the third industrial era to the fourth industrial era, all right, is more difficult than these folks uh, believe it is. Believe it is. It goes on to say, based on this vision, The smart village strategy can be developed as an integral part of the local development strategy. Now, the other thing, before we move forward with this, 
I just want to say, don't get me wrong here. Uh, I believe they're going to try. I believe the technology is real. The smart poles, everything else is real. My issue is that I'm not exactly sure how much they are able to connect and monitor in real time. Um, it takes a lot of server space. I mean, there is so much data, so much data for them to process it. And as you see, they have problems connecting it and policing it. Now, don't get me wrong. They're trying. They're definitely building out the infrastructure. The question is, how quickly can it be done? Uh, how accurate will it be at achieving their goals, right? And their goals would be to police us 100% of the time, to control us 100% of the time, to have ultimate power over us. Now, I still do believe this ends with the engineering of humanity out of existence. I think that's the only uh, logical conclusion that you can come to uh, when you look at a system run by scientists and engineers. Whether that is the true intention or whether that is an unintended consequence of having the scientists and engineers rule over us this ends with the engineering of humanity out of existence it's, it's the only logical conclusion uh, to a system like worldwide technocracy all right let's go through this here introduction as the process of depopulation of rural areas is becoming more and more evident, we are seeing that the heritage of villages in rural areas is also disappearing. Now, folks, this is true. Whether you're talking about the villages in Europe or whether you're talking about rural farmland here in the United States, this was intentional. This is done intentionally, all right? So as the world became more connected via mass transportation and then eventually through mass communication, you know, telephone, uh, internet, now cell phones, people leave their homestead, all right? This isn't new. It's been going on now uh, for generations. And so what happens is before you might have Joe the farmer. Joe the farmer has 20 acres of land. He grazes cattle. He has a farm. He feeds his family. He has an abundance of goods. He then sells those goods to get cash to build out his homestead or whatever. As time went on, people developed this idea that they wanted, and this was propaganda, they wanted their children to do better than them. First big step was sending them off to the university, sending them off to college. And before it was only special kids that could go off to the university or college. Most kids would end up growing up inside the family business whether that be running the family farm or becoming an electrician or becoming a plumber taking over the business from the dad or learning the skill from the dad. Uh, and then all of a sudden, as universities and colleges became more readily available to folks that weren't necessarily deemed to be a fit for college or university in prior generations would be sent off and then they would be trained <laughs> generally in STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering, mathematics to become a worker bee inside the technological industrial system. 
All right. And that's what happened. And then all of a sudden, the rural areas, uh, the farms, the organic farms, all this stuff starts to slowly disappear because the next generation doesn't want to take over the family business. So it's not unique to Europe. You're also seeing that occur here. This is why I'm looking to move to a county in West Virginia where there's like 400 people. I want to go somewhere where there's really not a lot of people around. I'm not looking to move to a city. I've lived in New York City. I lived in Manhattan uh, part of my life. I lived in Atlanta. Uh, I lived in places like that. I've lived in Nashville. Uh, I don't want to live in cities anymore. Uh, I don't want Willie G to grow up in a city. I don't think the whole idea of 15 minutes uh, to get to everything is a convenient thing. I think it's like living in a prison yard. Um, So it's happening all over the place. If you're someone who still has a family farm, a family business, I'd highly encourage your kid to want to take it over. Why? Because they're going to go out into the real world and 15, 16, 20 years later, they're going to come back and want the small town life and realize that the small town has been completely industrialized, completely turned into a smart city technocracy, and it was destroyed. Those things don't exist anymore. So you're seeing this happen all over the place. When I was in Poland with uh, Maggie in July and August of last year, 2022, we're going again in June. It was great because she has uh, an uncle, it's her father's cousin, and he had a fourth generation farm. This is a pretty big farm, about 100 acres, but it's still a family farm, not corporate. And um, he was actually having to consider whether or not he was going to sell this farm. And his 20-year-old son, while we were there, total coincidence, had decided that he was going to take over the family farm. So the father was so happy. And trust me, I think that kid will be happy in the long run. Because otherwise, he would have went off. He would have went to America with mass transportation, mass communication. Would have went to America, would have went to somewhere else inside of Europe. And then 15, 20 years later, he decided he wanted to go home to the family farm, and the family farm would be gone uh, because the next generation didn't want to take it over. We also see this happen in little pockets in the United States. Um, For instance, I grew up outside of New Haven, Connecticut. New Haven, Connecticut was famous for Italian food, famous for pizza, because there were a lot of Italian immigrants that had settled there. Well, you go one, two, three, four generations into the family, into the families that own those restaurants, they've sold out now to corporate or they've closed their doors because all of a sudden the younger kids don't want to take it over. If you've got a famous pizza place putting a hundred, two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars a year in your pocket, I would stay there and run that and keep the family legacy going. Why give it up? You're going to go out in the real world and then decide you want to get back to your roots, and then you realize your roots are gone. It's been destroyed. Uh, The little neighborhood that you once loved has become a 15-minute district. It's become a smart city. Uh, They also use intentionally demographic warfare. I've explained that on the show, and that's the idea of moving a bunch of different types of immigrants into one area with different cultures, they share no common culture, then it's easier to turn their culture into technocracy. That's why I always say we live in the culture of technocracy, the culture of technology. That's what binds us together at this point. Smartphones and earbuds and AR glasses. That's the technology worldwide that they've, uh, the culture that they've developed worldwide. All right, so now you move into an area and it doesn't matter. You're going to have a Mexican guy who doesn't speak English next to a banker who speaks English. 
doesn't matter. They share a technology. It's the smartphone. And, and that is how they literally destroyed us. They've destroyed cultures. The food is disappearing. The farms are disappearing and everything else. Let's continue. At the same time, uh, new risks, threats, and challenges are emerging. An analysis of the future of rural areas and their role in our society calls for a reassessment of the process of community development behind smart villages. Depopulated villages tend to be inhabited by elderly people, right? It's the last generation that's staying, usually alone, who need health care, financial help, and counseling. At the same time, the same areas need young people to innovate and get more involved in production processes. Now, one of the programs you could look at here in the United States is the, um, oh, what is, uh, shoot, uh, I'll have to look it up for you. But there is a loan designed to get urban folks to move into the rural areas right here in the United States. And I looked it up because Maria Albanese mentioned it to me. She had said, you should look at this. Maybe you can get a hold of this. Well, you have to be basically dirt poor to get this government subsidized loan to move into the rural area. And if you actually run the numbers, folks, through a calculator, you realize the people they're giving the loans to are not going to be able to actually pay the mortgage on the property. So I always start thinking, uh, like a conspiracy theorist, I put on my tinfoil hat and I say, wait a second. What are they trying to do? Use these people to move them out of the cities, out to the rural area. Then they're going to default on their mortgage. That person's going to end up homeless, and the government or the banksters are going to take the piece of land. Uh, Because when you run the numbers, the person actually, based on the income you're allowed to have to get the loan, that income will never be able to pay the mortgage on the property. So there's a whole scam going on here, folks, a big, giant scam operation to take the rural areas and to then turn them into smart areas. So what they say right there, you can see it. They're pushing all the kids out, breaking apart the families, sending those folks all around the world uh, away from home, and then they're going to send these young technocrats in to manage those rural areas for the old people by building a smart city, right? This is the scam, around them in their rural area, smart village, and then once those people die or they kill them or whatever, the technocrats now own all the rural land. And as we know... This is going on in the Southern Hemisphere, as Wide Awake Jim has explained, with the 30 by 30 plan, which is for the UN to basically seize 30% of the forests and 30% of the oceans to then take them and trade them on the stock market and also use them as collateral for handing out these fake carbon credits. I I, I mean, it's such a scam operation. You could see it. It's going to happen in these rural areas. This is why they've sent in Bill Gates and all their bag men to buy up all this property. It's not just about stopping the producing of organic and natural foods. They're also working to take all of the land and all of the resources. When I get back, folks, more on this. My name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. 